Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast. This is your host, Timmy Douglas, and the goal of this podcast is to create a community that inspires action, accountability, celebrates progress, and helps people make the right connections to take that next step towards their dreams and goals. If you're looking for any one-on-one coaching to pinpoint your purpose and start taking steps in that direction, make sure to contact me on my website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, or on social media. On that note, let's get into the show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have Darren Shank, who is a former professional racquetball player and the head coach of the ASU racquetball team. Darren, how you doing? Great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for coming on. And we'd like to jump right in. So if you could start with telling us a little bit more about yourself and what you'd like to do for fun, that'd be great. Sure. Well, I, I, I have a day job. I'm not just the coach of the ASU racquetball team. That, uh, that's been a volunteer gig for the past 15 years. Um, I'm the VP of sales for a, a company called Triage Now. We're a medical call center for workplace injuries. So a lot of my daytime is uh, occupied with that. I'm, like I said, I was a competitive racquetball player for a long time, turned professional, managed to make it into the top 20 in the world for three of the six years that I played professionally. And then after retiring, that's when I segued into coaching the Arizona State University racquetball team. So uh, without a doubt, my favorite thing to do as a pastime is fly fishing. Um, as I like to say, my life is one big distraction between fly fishing trips. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. And how do you fly fish? Because I have no idea really what it is. Well, you know, the easy reference for a lot of people is to watch the movie A River Runs Through It. Um, you know, that's been around a while and it, it showcases fly fishing as kind of the, the underlying theme behind that whole movie. Um, I love standing in a river in the mountains, trying to figure out what those fish in that river are eating at that time of the day and find the right insect replica in my fly box to tie on the end of a line, throw into the water and make it look as natural as possible to try to get a fish that is typically fished for in that same fashion almost every day of its life to try to be good enough to fool that fish into eating that replica uh, food source and then humanely land it, take a picture of it and let it go to be able to do it again. Yeah. Awesome, man. I love that. That sounds like a great time. It's the only thing I do that makes me forget to eat. It is so immersing for me. Some people get that same effect from riding a motorcycle or doing yoga or meditating or whatever. For me, it's kind of an active meditation. Uh, it's the most soul cleansing thing that I've, I've ever done for sure. That is wild. And I want everybody who heard that to like <laughs> rewind it, re-listen to it because your, your state of like meditation that everybody, everybody needs that. In their Absolutely. Life. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be like breath work. It could be that activity you lose yourself in. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, like I'm, I know people that have told me that same exact thing, riding a motorcycle or, um, you know, doing like jujitsu, because if you're not completely absorbed in the moment, you're tapping out because somebody has gained control and, you know, and, and you're, you're tapping out so that you avoid getting injured. So, um, that super present mindedness is I think what we all strive to find, and it, it can be found in a lot of different formats. Um, you know, it, back to my racquetball career, there were times where I played matches that I literally had to ask people what happened because I didn't remember. I was so immersed in the moment that I actually had to talk to somebody in the crowd 
and have them sort of paint the picture for me because I, I, I didn't recall what I had just done for the past 90 minutes. Wow, that is awesome. That's awesome to hear about. Well, let's jump into your motivation. What gets you sure. up and keeps you going every day? Well, now um, definitely helping other people's other people as much as possible. Um, I had a, we'll call it an interesting life experience here a few years ago. Um, I am lucky to not be a statistic of uh, dying in a head-on collision with a wrong-way drunk driver. Um, statistically, every 50 minutes around the U.S., somebody dies in a crash with a drunk driver. I was on my way to go fishing with my dad. Luckily, he was not in the car. I was meeting him somewhere. And uh, long story short, I was in a construction zone on a highway. I was doing about 65 miles an hour. I assume the other car was doing about the same. And I, the construction zone pinched down into one lane, so I had no way to evade this person. Came around a curve and boom, nothing but headlights in front of me. On the ride home in my dad's truck, when he picked me up, I kept staring at the floor and the same question kept going through my mind. And it wasn't what most people might think, which is why me? The question was, okay, I dodged a bullet, whether you consider that the hand of God or the universe protecting me or, or whatever. If there's one thing that I should be doing with the rest of my time here on earth, what is it? And for me, that answer came to me before I even got home. And that answer was serving as helping as many people as possible. And that is being is I'm honoring that with uh, sharing my experiences through public speaking and one on one, um, what I call self optimization coaching. I love that. I love that. And so what topics do you usually speak on? And what does your self optimization coaching look like? So the speaking has has kind of <laughs> I'm a I'm a unique in the sense that I'm kind of a generalist. Like I kick ass on Jeopardy when I watch the TV show, right? I actually took the test to be on the show. The test is way harder than the TV show is, but I know a little bit about a lot of things, right? And my ex my life experience has kind of reflected that too. I've I've written several books. I've been I've gotten the opportunity to pursue a professional athletic career. Then I became a coach. I I've done a bunch of different things. So that eclectic background helps me have not necessarily a, a huge depth of knowledge in one particular field, but a lot of knowledge over a broad number of subjects. So I'm comfortable sitting and talking with another a, a professional athlete or uh, an, an amateur athlete or, or a coach or a high-performing uh, executive or, uh, you know, somebody that's made the transition from college into the, to the real world, they landed the job they've always wanted. And, oh my God, I'm an adult now. What? Right. So, uh, all of those topics are things that I love sitting down and talking to an individual and learning where they think their weak spots are either confirming that or getting to the real source of the weak spot and then help them put in some new habits and behavior patterns that are going to serve them better. So to, to your original question, the speaking topics have been a little bit more focused on my background and my, some of my experiences. And if it would be for uh, like a, a sports team, it would be some of my training experiences that I've had as a racquetball player or the, the trainer that I got the opportunity to work with uh, did a, 
uh, a, an, an NFL combine prep camp here in Phoenix. And I got thrown in the mix with a bunch of NFL players and college prospects over the summertime and just was expected to jump in and do all the workouts and everything those guys did. And so I have some funny and, and hopefully inspiring stories from those kind of things as well. So the speaking has kind of been a little bit more focused on me recently and my story. And then that opens up the discussions, hopefully, for the coaching and consulting side. Gotcha. Gotcha. I love that. And I love how you're – I kind of like the idea of being a general coach <laughs> when it comes to self-optimization because I think we all get into coaching to help people. And very seldom is like – even when coaches niche down, it's often to get clients in the door so then they can kind of do the holistic approach. Yeah. Because that's a great way to put it. That's kind of how I look at it. Um, I'm definitely repurposing that line. Um, yeah, I, that's how I look at it. I I've had, a have had basically 15 years of prep work as the ASU racquetball coach. Um, very early on in that process, I learned that I was teaching life skills disguised as racquetball lessons. Mm -hmm. And then as the kids would go through the program and graduate and go out into the real world, um, I, I was continuing to maintain relationships with some of the kids and I've been to several weddings and I've gotten a couple of phone calls. Oh my God, coach, I just got fired. What do I do? You know, all kinds of different stuff. And that kind of helped me formulate, you know, the idea of doing the self-optimization stuff, because in one way or another, I've been doing it for quite a while. And I just want to expand my audience and help as many people as possible, not just the, the individuals contained within the, the uh, racquetball team. Absolutely. I love that. Well, let's jump into your dreams and goals now. What is the, your vision for the rest of your life and how you see your coaching and speaking career playing out? So those things tie together. Um, I very happy in my day job. I've uh, been with my company since day one, uh, nine years ago, took it from literally idea on the back of a napkin to one of the, the top five uh, companies in the country that provide the service that we do. Uh, I get to compete with billion dollar companies and uh, I relish every one of those wins when it's that David and Goliath battle and, and I come out on top. Um, so I, I don't really have any plans to, to leave that job, but I would love the idea of utilizing the flexibility that I have within my current job to be able to go and travel around the country doing professional speaking and then amass a group of clients that I can help on a one-on-one -on -one basis um, depending on how that moves forward, some of it might be uh, some group work and get the right individuals paired together in group settings where they can benefit from one another's experience as well as my own. And obviously some of it would be individualized coaching as well. So in an ideal world, my wife who is a nurse and works three 12 hour shifts at the hospital, uh, I, I book a trip to Denver and I'm doing a talk on a Thursday. Wednesday, she and I travel to Denver to Denver. I do a talk on, on Thursday, which I get paid for Friday after Friday morning. I have a half day trip scheduled with a, a fly fishing guide while she's out shopping or doing whatever. And then we spend the rest of the weekend in Denver, hanging out and, and you know, just kind of doing touristy things or local things or whatever. And then we come home on Sunday and, and get back into our regular schedule. So that's really what I'm striving for on a personal level. And again, that gives me the opportunity to, speak and reach a, a wide audience. And then from that audience, hopefully gather clients I can work with and help on an individual level. I love that. I love that. And I love how you have your kind of ideal 
like schedule mapped out. So just curious. It's a, it's a lifestyle for sure. It's a lifestyle plan. Yeah. Yeah. Does your, so your wife works Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then like. It depends. She can kind of make her own schedule. So if she worked Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, for example, she'd have four days off. And with the flexibility of, of my day job, I can, I can work remote. I do work remotely and I can work from anywhere. So I could jump on a plane and travel somewhere Wednesday without really missing too much work time, take an hour out of my day on Thursday to go do a talk somewhere. And again, not have that be too interrupting to my, to my duties that I have um, with my, with my day job. I don't want to, you know, let any of my clients hang and waiting, waiting on things and stuff like that. I, I certainly want to honor that, that commitment as well. But um, whether I do that from my desk here in Phoenix or from a hotel room in Denver, as I put on my fly fishing clothes and get ready to head out the door uh, you know, either way I'm, I'm as long as I'm keeping up with my workload uh, everybody's happy. Yeah, absolutely. There we go, man. Well, I love that. And so outside of, you know, creating that ideal lifestyle and getting, how frequently do you see yourself doing those speaking engagements? Is that like an every week thing? Um, if, if the opportunity arises, I would say yes. Uh, twice a month might be the ideal mix. Um, and my wife wouldn't necessarily travel with me every time if it was, you know, something I did once a week. Um, but in, in an ideal world, maybe twice a month. Um, the fee that I have in my head for, for public speaking, um, if I got to do that twice a month would be fantastic. And then, and, you know, I'm, I'm used to travel between my pro racquetball career. I was on the road about 26 or 28 weeks out of the year. And then segueing into sales, I've done a fair amount of travel, um, in my, in my day job in sales as well. So being a road warrior is just kind of part of my lifestyle. So that part doesn't really concern me too much. Um, I I'm, I'm pretty used to that. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So speaking engagements twice per month and helping people in those one-on-one settings, what would the uh, group setting look like once you got your group of clients together? Yeah. So, you know, obviously the, the more I travel and the bigger reach I develop, uh, the more my, my, uh, potential clients would be scattered around the country. So obviously, you know, zoom sessions would probably be, um, the way that some of that would be structured. And in some cases, you know, and, and this will play out as, as it develops, but what I envision is that, you know, pairing the athletes with the athletes and the coaches with the coaches. Um, but there's plenty of crossover in high performing individuals, regardless of their, what their chosen endeavor is. So um, there may be times with the right audience that I have a, a group session where it is 20 people on a zoom call who, you know, they become their own resource and reference group where I'm connecting everybody and allowing, you know, or sorry, not allowing, but uh, facilitating them to have the benefit of all that group of experience instead of just my own experiences that I'm sharing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I think um, the mastermind principle is kind of like a mini mastermind. Yeah. Going on. yeah. It's like, it's priceless. Connections, relationships, and masterminding with like-minded people will take you very far. I am so fortunate to have had a lot of access to those kind of things. And, and I, I have the sport of racquetball to thank for that. Um, I didn't start playing till I was about 16, but almost everybody that I competed with and played, played with on a regular basis was a lot older than I was. So I've had what I've referred to as my own personal board of directors for my whole, for much of my adult life. 
And that is a group of people, men and women, who sometimes were much, much older than I am, sometimes twice my age, whatever it may be, who I would bounce life decisions off of and sometimes learn from someone else's mistakes, sometimes learn from somebody's successes. And I know without a doubt that has served me very, very well. And so replicating that for others has become a big push for me. Absolutely, man. I love that. So if there were one or two people that you could meet right now, and this can be a specific person or a type of person, and they would really help you take the next step towards creating that ideal lifestyle of the speaking engagements, the coaching clients, as well as your day job. Yep. Who would they be and how would they help you out? So I'm going to go with maybe a, an oblique answer to that on the first one. And I'm going to say Joe Rogan. And the reason <laughs> common is, one. he's common one. Yes. The reason is I'm a huge fan, but the reach that he has, if, uh, and I am, I am, I, I started the forward. So when I say I'm writing a book, I mean that I am like, you know, three pages in, but now that I've honed in on the direction that I want to go, I want to write a book that goes along with the talks and the coaching. And so in an ideal world, I write a book that reaches some level of acclaim. I end up as a guest on the Joe Rogan podcast, and that launches me into the public eye where I have people, you know, clamoring for me to come talk to their their sports team, their company, whatever it may be. Um, so even though that's not maybe the, the structural answer of somebody helping me through the next stages of things, uh, so maybe that's a that's a better number two answer um, because that would be the next stage of, of the development of all of this. Um, so the another person that would come to mind for that uh, would be, I would say, that actually that's a hard one to narrow it down to because like I'm not gunning to be the next Tony Robbins, right? That's not how I envision what I'm doing. So even though that might be a, uh, an easy answer to go to, um, that, that, that wouldn't be my first choice. So somebody that, you know, like his, his mentor, Jim Rohn, that he refers to all the time, um, or Zig Ziglar or somebody like that, you know, someone in, that has been down this road, um, uh, Bill Gove, who's con kind of considered the, the father of the keynote speak speech, um, somebody like that that's already walked this path could certainly sh shorten my learning curve for me. Um, that, that kind of advice would be invaluable because otherwise I'm figuring it out on my own as I go. Right. So if I could find somebody that could take me from five years down to 18 months in terms of learning curve, that would be amazing. And then I'll get on the Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. There we go. Well, what's the most important one or two things that everyday people can do to help you accomplish your dreams? Well, you know, the, the biggest thing that I share as a takeaway message in general is make sure that you don't wait for the warning shot that I got. Right. And so those things tie together. I've, I've been very fortunate to pursue the, the, the dreams that I've had achieve goals I've set for myself. And so I want people to understand and do that for themselves. And I want anybody who is looking to pursue something to a high degree to be aware that I and other people like myself are here to help. And so th that's kind of a twofold answer to your question, but understand that nobody does any journey alone. And it is certainly a sign of strength and uh, a, a, a way to get to your goals faster by learning from others who have already walked that path. Yeah, 
Absolutely. There we go. I love that. Well, now we're going to jump into our thriving three. <laughs> First question is, what's your favorite book, movie, or podcast? Pick one. That's tough. Um, I am a huge fan of the Joe Rogan podcast, Tim Ferriss's podcast. Um, but man, I, I, I'm going to go with um, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, a, a new book, you know, fairly recent book that is, I'm actually rereading it uh, right now. And it's, it's so good at breaking down where we fall short on making changes and how incremental change has such exponential improvement in our lives. I love the analogy of the British cycling team that was looking for 1% improvement in a bunch of different areas. And they went from wallowing in mediocrity for so long to a 10 year run of just dominating the cycling world with tiny little incremental improvements in areas that to some people probably seemed unrelated to cycling, like spray painting the inside of the van where they kept their, their, their bikes so that if it was dusty inside, they could see it and know that the bikes need to be recleaned before they go out on the on the road for a race. Things that are so small, so such minute details that end up making such a big difference. So I, I love that book. I recommend it to lots and lots of people. Yeah. And it's definitely one you should read like once a year, once every couple of years. I, I agree. Cause I, even though I'm only back, I'm, I'm barely through the first third of it again. I know I'm picking up things that the last time I, when I read it, when it first came out that either didn't resonate at the time or it, maybe it did, but I didn't write it down or I, it, you know, it, it just seemed new to me coming through it again. And so, you know, like uh, any good book, whatever you need to hear at that time, whenever you read that book, it, it ha- it's, speaks those things to you. Yep. There we go. Go buy Atomic Habits if you're listening to this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's not a paid endorsement or anything like that. I'm just a huge fan of, uh, you know, of his methodology and, and his writing style. It's very easy to digest uh, that kind of information. And um, I think lots and lots of people would benefit from it. Absolutely. And I guess we already know how you like to take care of yourself, but would you like to say anything other than fly fishing? Yeah. So that was, you know, that's an obvious one that's taking care of my mind. Um, One of the things that I've tried to be a lot better about is to also take care of my body. Um, Being an athlete for as long as I was, and I I still love beating up on the kids on the ASU team. So I I stay in shape and um, but I, I committed a long time ago that at some point in my early fifties, which I'm, I'll be 52 this year, um, that I would make the switch to doing training and, and more of a longevity lifestyle than the explosive plyometric grinding myself down kind of training that I've done, you know, for, for this half of my life. Um, so massage work is something I've, I've been doing more of lately because I spend this was the perfect analogy to make me go, ah, that's, I got to do that. Um, after my car accident, uh, crash, excuse me, it's not an accident. Um, I was working with a massage therapist because I had some back issues and some, some neck issues, all muscular, nothing really structural, but she said, how many hours do you spend a week in the gym working out? And I added it up. I'm like, eh, maybe 10, maybe 12 total. It's like, how many hours do you spend a week repairing all of the damage that you do during that 10 to 12 hours. And I went, 
none. <laughs> and she said, that's my point. You, you need to balance out all of the physical output with the physical recovery that something like massage offers. So I'm still not great about it, but I've been a lot better about scaling back some of my workouts because I'm not 25 anymore. And also doing things like massage work that truly help speed recovery, you know, keep uh, help with flexibility, injury prehab, and also rehab the nagging little things that show up. Uh, massage seems to help them go away a lot faster instead of you know, something that might take a, a three weeks for me to recover from. If I get a massage and, and make the therapist aware of the is issue that I'm having and they can focus on it, um, sometimes it's, you know, three or four days and I feel like I'm back in action. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So take care of yourself. That's definitely uh, nobody else does. Right. We, we all have to do that ourselves. Yeah. I have never gotten a professional massage oh dude let me send let me get your address i'll send you a gift card it <laughs> is i mean you know it you have to have the right person for it right i actually like a, a firm hard massage like if i don't if i don't feel like i'm sweating and gritting my teeth at times i don't feel like i'm getting as much out of it as i could um you know a sports massage is meant to be therapeutic and healing but it's not always fun um, you know, for my wife, who's on her feet all the time, I bought her, um, as a Christmas gift, I bought her, a, a membership to massage envy and her approach will be a little bit different, right? It'll be a relaxing, um, soothing experience and have some therapeutic benefit for me. If it doesn't hurt, I don't think it did enough. <laughs> so you'll end up somewhere on that spectrum, but I highly recommend it. It's, it's when you work with somebody that knows what they're doing, there's no substitute. I love it. Awesome. Well, what is one action step that you can take right now or continue to take if you're already doing it to really get to the point where you have those speaking engagements coming in uh, twice a month? Yeah, I'm in the midst of a rebrand um, right now. I, I I was victim to my own generalist approach um, when I started out and I I gained some success in the, the college market, so to speak. Um, I, I, I'm a recurring lecturer for the uh, business school at Arizona State University, as well as Northern Arizona University. And I, I kept trying to go down that path a little farther and figure out how to expand and monetize that. Well, as much, despite the tuition that universities charge, they don't have much of a budget for things like that. Yeah. So, um, and I was, I love speaking to the college audience um, I, I joke with my wife and friends that that's as mature as I am. So I just identify with the kids pretty well. Right. But, um, making that transition from the cushy college life that you, that people don't realize that they're living into the real world of having, you know, a, a, a job at a, a major company that you landed with a great opportunity. And now you're just thrust into this whole different world that you may or may not be prepared for. Um, I, I seem to have a lot of things that can help with that in that area. But the, the, what, the, the way I'm going to approach that now is that I want to focus on the corporate market where I can bend my story to fit a bunch of different scenarios and get paid at the corporate level and then continue to do the things in the college uh, level, even if it's just here in Arizona for free, because I love it and I want to do it and I get paid with the other things that I do. So that's kind of the plan that I have is that I need I needed to do a rebrand from a marketing uh, perspective and make what I do more obvious in my on my website, 
on my social media presence, things like that. And, and then market myself more effectively to give my op- myself the opportunity to do more and more stuff for free in the college and universities. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm right there with you actually, in terms of like, I have a passion and it's kind of hard to monetize that passion <laughs> because the people that I really want to serve don't really have money. <laughs> um, well, one of my talks that I do is actually entitled, don't make a job out of your passion. That sounds funny from a guy who's pursuing, you know, public speaking or professional speaking and coaching. Um, but if, if you were listening, I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily intend to give up my day job. Right. Um, I learned that lesson the hard way as a racquetball player. That was the thing that I was absolutely the most passionate about from age 16 to age 30. I rarely thought about anything else. I did a mediocre job at school. I went to college for a year and decided I went, I went to Northern Arizona university, which is in a small town here in Arizona. I was the best player in town. The day I moved in, that wasn't helping me get better. I had class Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I had racquetball tournaments, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Uh, the fishing game department stocked uh, Oak Creek with uh, trout on Tuesday morning. So fishing Wednesday was the best time to be there. So as you can see, my school schedule kind of became a secondary to the other things I wanted to do. And so I left school, moved back to Phoenix and started working at a health club. And I did nothing that was not racquetball related for an entire decade. That's how I got to turn pro and play professionally, but I burned out doing it. I did not make enough money to pay the bills. There were times where I drove to tournaments or flew to tournaments and had to win prize money to put in the money in the gas or to put gas in the gas tank to get back home. That's not the kind of pressure you want to have on a regular basis. So my advice is that you find a job that facilitates the lifestyle that you want to have. And that lifestyle includes pursuing the passions that you want, but, but trying to monetize your passion isn't always the best idea. Just some food for thought. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's uh it's good advice because that pressure, man, stress is like a top killer. So it's it's awful. And <laughs> this sounds funny, but I I I figured out what I should have done. I should have been a fireman who played pro racquetball. <laughs> Instead of being a pro racquetball player and scrounging a living doing that, I should have become a fireman where I work 10 days a month. I've got a good paying job. I can rearrange my schedule however I need to for travel and tournaments and stuff. After 20 years, I would have retired with a pension. Then I should have gone back to, during my last five years as a fireman, should have gone back to school, gotten a master's degree, and then go teach at the university. That would have been so much easier of a path for my life. Unfortunately, I figured that out about three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so a little late for that to kick in and, and, and be done. But, um, you know, I, I do still firmly believe that keeping your your day job and your passions separate because that just takes the need for monetization out of it. If you can, that's a bonus, but don't take, don't make something you love into a job like I did with the sport of racquetball. Cause I definitely, it shortened my career. And I, when I retired, I really should have retired a year earlier. I was burnt to a crisp. I mean, I just, I couldn't even look at a hardwood floor for a while. I, I was so done. So I hate, I hate the idea that other people are following in my footsteps. So that's one of the things I certainly advise against. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think, um, 
as hard pressed as I am to say, because, you know, it's the living the dream podcast. You want to be like living your passion. But like, I really liked what you said about making your passion a job. Like it's not it's not a bad thing to get money from your passion. Not at all. The second it starts to like become a job and it's something you have to do and you have to show up when you don't even want to do it. Well, that's when it stops becoming a passion and the joy that you get from it. Like you said, you're going to burn out. It's going to be stolen. And then the thing that you love the most, like you're not going to be able to look at the same. So ever. I mean, I, I never recovered the love I have for the game, even as a coach. I, and I've had, I think collectively I've had more amazing experiences and good memories in the sport as a coach than I ever did as an individual player. Cause I carried that pressure with me every time I walked on the court. And so winning matches to pay rent or, you know, to eat those kind of things are, that's too much pressure for, for most people to handle, especially, you know, for one season, that's one thing, but the sport of rack, it's not tennis, right. Where if I made it to the top hundred, I'm making good money and I've got sponsors that cover the bills and life is good. Right. Racquetball is not like that. If you're outside the top five, you have a part-time job. It's just the nature of the sport. And I knew that going in, but I, I didn't have the foresight as a 20 year old making that pursuit to look at, Oh, you know what? This would be better if I went this direction and then had racquetball be a a happy bonus that I pursue in, in, in addition to my day job. Uh, I am sure I would have competed longer and I know for a fact, I would have enjoyed that journey a lot more if I would have uh, approached it in that manner. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the most important question for you guys who are on the fringe of this, of like, do I go all in? Do I kind of stay here with my W2 and cultivate my passion a little more? If you're on the fringe, ask yourself, what can you be consistent with? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And, yeah, because now the answer is, oh, I want to wake up and do a podcast and get paid. That's awesome. But A, there's very few people that do that, right? We all see the success stories. You know, Joe Rogan signs a deal with Spotify and, you know, for $100 million. It's like, that's, that's, I want to do that, right? Well, who, who doesn't, right? But um, there are millions of people that start a podcast, do three or six episodes and go, ah, uh, this isn't for me. And, and now what, right? So stick with the day job. If you get to the point where you're monetizing your passion to the point of equaling or maybe superseding your day job, then, then you have a real decision to make. Until then, I would stick with the W-2 and, and have fun with whatever your passion is. Yep, yep. And usually the W-2 is a bad word on this podcast. But I understand, <laughs> I understand. But, you know, it, and again, how you handle that money makes a big difference, right? That's, My that's... wife and I are huge fans of the Dave Ramsey program. Um, we went, I was fairly deep in debt from my pro tour days and some bad spending habits and things like that. And so it took a while to go from, you know, being almost $70,000 in debt to now we are pretty close to paying our house off and being 100% debt free. So at this point, I could scale back my day job or she could work part time as a nurse, but we have the house and other things that we want to do. And so we're both working full time and, and trying to achieve those goals. But that's another way to look at it is if, if you can start to monetize your passion and scale back your dreaded W-2 job, uh, now you have the balance of both. You have the security of, hey, this covers my bills and then some. And, oh, look, I'm starting to make some money at the thing I really love to do too. To me, that would be the, the, the perfect blend. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Well, awesome. I have a, mm, let's go maybe two to three more questions for you. Sure. The first one is I want you to speak to the power of consistency in your <laughs> life. And for those who are struggling with consistency, how can we become more consistent? So read the book, Atomic Habits. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't, I, 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 that's one of those books that, God, where was this, you know, 30 years ago, right? Um, for me, I figured out how, like, this goes back to my childhood, right? I, I mean, my dad was a wrestler in high school and beyond, and I was groomed for that same thing. Wrestlers are one of, if not the most devoted, crazy, neurotic athletes out there, right? I mean, you're, you're perpetually cutting weight. You're working out like a maniac. I mean, it's just, it's a very, very difficult sport. So I grew up around that kind of discipline and attitude of, and mentality about my, the sports per, uh, pursuits. So that just for me was kind of a lifestyle I, I grew up on a farm and, you know, that's a tough lifestyle in and of itself. You get up every day to go out and take care of the animals, collect the eggs from the chickens, feed the horses, milk the cows, all that stuff every day without fail. Doesn't matter what the weather's like. Doesn't matter what you've, what else you have to do during the day. That's how every day starts. And so parlaying that into the rest of my life um, as a, as an athlete, there were certain things I needed to do every week to feel like I had done my job. And I knew my, or I assumed my competitors were doing the same. And so if I missed a day, I had to make up for it. Otherwise I feel like ah, I'm losing ground here. Right. And, you know, I would finish reps going Gonzalez. Cause that that guy was my, my, my nemesis and my biggest competitor for a long, long time here locally in Arizona. And, and I, I would literally use that as motivation and kind of, he was my, unbeknownst to him, he was my accountability partner. So whether you actually have somebody that helps you with that stuff, or you just pick an arbitrary person and sort of make them kind of responsible for, for you to compete against or to check in with or whatever, find, find a reason of what you're pursuing and then reverse engineer that to five years from now, I want to be the top, uh, the top level player in Arizona. What do I need to do year four, year three, year two, year one, six months, three months tomorrow. And then now you're working in the opposite direction. So tomorrow I need to do this. And then the next day and the next day and lay out that plan, write it out, put it in your calendar, put it in your computer so that you get, you know, on, on or on your phone so that you get daily calendar reminders. You need to do X, Y, Z. And if you don't, you better move it to another time in the week and make up for it because other people who are pursuing the same thing aren't slacking. And if you allow yourself to, you're, you're, going, to you're going to extend the time it takes you to reach your goals or maybe derail that pursuit completely. So it, it has to be managed in the micro, but you have to look at it from the macro point of view and then scale it down to bite size. This is what I need to do this day, this week, this month to, to really achieve what you set out to do. I love that. Awesome. Well, tell us about some times in your life where you've had limiting beliefs and how you push through them. Uh, that's never really happened to me. <laughs> so um, an easy one would be uh, in, in my pro tour career, 
I, I got a late start compared to my peers. Most of the guys I competed against started when they were six, seven, eight years old. Um, and they like the number one guy, when I played his parents owned a health club and the number one guy in the world at, as uh, uh, in the world of racquetball at that time gave this kid lessons twice a week from the time from age six to age 16. So he was groomed to be the best player. I didn't pick up a racket till I was 15 and a half. So I was always trying to play catch up with those guys. And I, I never envisioned myself being number one. My goal was to maximize my potential, whatever that meant. And that was a sliding scale as I got better and better because I went, I went down the road a little bit, a little ways. And then I met somebody that said, oh, no, no, wait, you, you need to tweak this and you'd get better results. So then I backtracked two steps and went a step to the right. And then I went four steps down the road. I did a complete revamp of my game while I was on the pro tour. So I, I met a mentor who's a good friend of mine now that just tore down my game and completely rebuilt me over one summer. So the limiting belief at number 70 in the world was that this is, I reached my potential. I hit my ceiling. That was a true statement on my own, but with someone's help, I went from 70 to number 18 in the world. So I had, sometimes I, in, in that case, I needed an outside influence to break through that limiting belief because I may have truly tapped out with what I was capable of doing with the knowledge set that I had. But somebody else came along and said, hey, you know what? You do everything the hard way. Let me show you how to do it easier. And that broke, helped me break through that limiting belief. And I went, I jumped, you know, 52 spots in the rankings and spent three years in, inside the top 20 in the world. So I, I had a little bit of assistance on that, but that in my, that's the first example that jumps into my head. Cause I, I know I thought 70 was my number until I had some outside help. Dude, I love that. I love that because outside influences our community, the people we surround ourselves with such an important thing. It is. And, you know, <laughs> to Andy's credit, the, the my mentor, um, he was not worried about me overtaking him, uh, uh, his spot on in the rankings and things like that. He had been a former number one player. He was getting towards the tail end of his career due to a knee injury. And he was very open and forthcoming with as much information as I could consume to, to maximize my own potential without any concern of his own of, hey, you know, I'm going to play this guy in, in upcoming events. Maybe I don't want to share everything with him. He, he never had that mentality. And I have, and I have done my best to, to reciprocate with everybody else that I helped since he took that approach with me. I love that. And our last question requires a bit of pretext. So you know how there are people on the planet who have a really fixed mindset, not willing to accept help, not willing to accept change. Sometimes they live their whole life like that. And sometimes they'll die like that, unfortunately. Other times they'll have that switch to more of a growth mindset, willing to accept change, willing to accept help. In your opinion, what is the catalyst that causes people to make that switch? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so I would say we as human beings are so malleable that if you just take a step back and look and ask yourself the question, am I a doing the right thing? And B, am I capable of getting where I want to go without some assistance? And the answer is almost always no, right? We, 
or you're, you're on such, you're extending the path to where you want to get to so much longer by not asking for help that if the goal is to achieve something, why would you not be open to, to exploring every possibility and aggregating all of the information and the habits and behaviors of all the other people who have already achieved that and shortening your learning curve so you can also taste that level of success. So to me, it really starts with an internal question of what do I want to achieve and what am I willing to do to achieve that? And if your roadblock personally is, God, I hate asking for help. I feel like I'm weak, like I should have all these answers. I should be able to figure this stuff out myself. You're wrong. And you just need to own up to that and get uncomfortable and start asking questions and start asking for help. Otherwise, you're going to do it the hard way the whole time. There we go. It always starts with some sort of self-awareness. It, it has to. I mean, it, nobody knows what's going on inside your head but you. So it has to start there. But you have to be open and receptive to outside influence and help. Otherwise, you are truly reinventing the wheel when it is unnecessary. There we go. Well, awesome. Darren, is there anything else you want to chat about before we sign off? Um, like I said, I'm in the midst of a rebrand, so I'm, I don't even want to necessarily send people to my website in its current state. Um, so I, I will say no. I, I, you know, this was fun. I hope I, we get to do it again sometime when I am ready for the true, you know, rebrand and relaunch of my website and stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll be more forthcoming with that stuff. Um, like I said, the book is a, a is a something I've just stuck my toe in that pool at the moment. So, um, so yeah, that was it. I just kind of wanted to come on and and uh, spend a little time with you and, and hear what your thoughts were and, and answer a few questions. And, you know, who knows, maybe we changed a few lives today. Awesome. Maybe we did. Well, Darren, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show, man. My pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. If you guys are listening to this and you loved what Darren had to say, make sure that you support him. If you know any good fly fishing spots, <laughs> <laughs> send, them yeah. his, send them his way. Yeah. Please, uh, if, you, if there's anybody that has questions or would like to contact me, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to do it. Um, I do have two LinkedIn um, profiles. I have my day job, Darren Shank, and I also have Darren Chatter, C-H-A-T-T-E-R, where uh, that's kind of my speaking persona. Like I said, that will also go through a rebrand here in the near future. But um, anybody has follow-up questions or anything, something I can help with, a few you know secret spots that they want to reveal for fly fishing, love to hear from you. <laughs> there we go. And as we always ask, send this podcast to one to three people you know need to hear this message give us a five-star review on itunes and we're out guys thanks for listening make sure to reach out to our guests and help them accomplish their dreams and goals if you resonated with them if you're looking for any intentional masterminds or one-on-one -on -one coaching to accomplish your dreams and goals make sure to check out the website workwithtimmydouglas.com and contact me either there or on social media that's all i got have a blessed day <laughs>